This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, every act of creation is an act of parody. Filk music and fandom in speculative fiction. (laughs) Okay, so... There may be some listeners at this point who are going, what the hell is folk music? And let me just tell you that I appreciate that because when Jules sent me this episode idea, I genuinely thought that it was a typo and said folk music, but we've done one on folk music. Um, And Jules went, no, filk music, and then had to explain it to me. And once she had explained it to me... um, it's one of those things where you suddenly go, oh yeah, I know about that. Yeah, I do know that. I just didn't realise it had a name. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, if unless you're involved in those circles, and they're quite niche circles, really, mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily know that it had a name. But it does have a, well, for music, it has a semi-long and illustrious history, Yeah, um, which we'll get into. So basically, I ran an Ask Me Anything on my, well, with my Grimoire subscribers, back in February and then I was so busy that I didn't actually, other than answering people's individual questions, didn't actually manage to collate the blog post um, which was going to be provided by it or you know do it in a newsletter or anything Mm -hmm. until last month. Right. So that wasn't great and I (laughs) apologise to everyone for that but I did get there in the end. (laughs) Obviously I chatted to you in between because I kept going I've got a new book out. Um, Yeah and there were a variety of questions that kept coming up. So obviously in the blog post, I sort of answered the questions that people asked me the most out of this Ask Me Anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ones that cropped up to my um, sense of nervous mortification was, are the songs that you include in your books real? Um, now, obviously, if they're famous folk songs or non-famous folk songs, then yes, they are real. It's just I've gone down a weird byway and I, I've like my interpretation of the song kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, for example, uh, the whole Parsley Sage, Rosemary and Time thing in I Rule the Night. Yes. Um, but some of the others, where I couldn't find a song I actually needed, if we take I Rule the Night again as an example, the one about the skull, the song about the skull, I can't even remember what it, it's called. That's actually one I completely made up mm. based on, on themes and stuff. So yes, that was made up. And then later on, I've obviously got bands and things that come into both Unveiled and Harker and Blackthorn. Yes. There's, there's Nick's Driftneck Dregs band and also uh, Blood and Chocolate. Yeah. We're basically this edgy goth rock <laughs> <laughs> um, folk, folky type band. Um, and they need songs to sing. So sometimes there are lyrics in there and the lyrics are obviously sort of reflecting stuff that's happening in the books at the time as well. Yes. So the whole sort of, are these songs real? Okay, yes, they are real, and music does exist. I'm probably not going to share it because, <laughs> because I suck. You, <laughs> you decidedly do not suck. I I have heard Jules singing. Jules is an amazing singer, um, and I have every confidence and her ability to write songs, so frankly. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll see if I eventually get bullied into it. But <laughs> it kind of got me thinking the fact that you know, something that I put in there, not so much as a throwaway, but more kind of, I did this to entertain myself. I don't really expect to get anybody else on board with it. Mm. The fact that people are like, oh, are they real? Kind of, I'm, I'm terrified the next question is going to be, can we listen to them? 
<laughs> but it, it made me sort of think about the whole process of, because it, it was kind of a pressure relief valve for me, which we'll get into in a bit. Mm. And it, the other thing it is, is the fact that I like to smuggle Easter eggs into my books, um, mostly for Madeline, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, but also because I like doing little nods to science fiction, fantasy and horror that I have enjoyed. Not that I ever expect any of these these great authors to or you know anyone to read my books and sort of go she's talking about my book or anything but um <laughs> it pleases me to do so so I do it and one of the ways I do this is via the snippets of songs I put in there um and what does that have to do with filk music well technically the songs I write are in fact filk for the most part mm. so maybe it's time for some definitions yes so for that big old question of what is filk well, <laughs> there's no absolute set definition for what filk music is, but most enthusiasts agree that it is the music and songs produced in parody of and homage to certain works of science fiction, fantasy, horror, or to tropes which are contained therein. Um, or sometimes to the concepts and ideas challenged and incorporated by speculative fiction. Yeah. So, I mean, that all sounds quite complicated, but basically it's as simple as, I love Star Trek, I want to sing a song about DS9. <laughs> yes. Um, however, while filk songs can be parodies, uh, it's worth noting that not all parodies are filk. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think of an example of a parody that really isn't filk, but I suppose anything by spitting image isn't technically filk. Okay. I realise that's reaching into the past a little bit. But <laughs> you, I mean, uh, I had great fondness for the Spitting Image Star Trekking song um, that came out as literally as a parody, as a laugh sometime during the late 80s, early 90s, I believe. Mm -hmm. It's very funny, but it's not filk music. It, it's not trying to embrace the concepts and represent them in a musical format. Okay, so but here's a question then. Barbie Girl, the song, is that technically it's filk. it's filk? I would put that under filk. Yeah. Obviously, there are, <laughs> there are going to be like more hardcore filkers out there than me. I, I'm not. I mean, yes, I love filk. It's great, but I haven't hung out with a lot of other filkers, and other filkers might kind of go, "What are you talking about? Barbie Girl can't possibly be." But yeah, Barbie Girl is an excellent example. Um, so is Cartoon Heroes, also by Aqua, I believe. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is worth because, knowing. <laughs> and in the, they're, they're weird. It's bubblegum pop. That's the funny thing. And it's the sort of stuff that gets stuck in your head. Mm -hmm. And yet when you look at the lyrics, it's like, okay, this is really intelligently written. And they're taking the piss, but they're doing it with love kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we walk away with, uh, <laughs> with new knowledge today. Um, I mean, and I think it perfectly demonstrates that Filk embraces multiple music genres and styles. Um, it's completely inclusive due to its origins. Um, it is the music of nerds, and while the subject matter might be gently teased or even uh, caustic, caustically, oh, I can't speak. <laughs> mocked the actual performance and music is engaged with seriously yeah i think that's one of the the main points i've noticed personally with filk is the fact that you can have somebody who is writing about 
the absurdness, for example, of the way Perrault treats certain things in Little Red Riding Hood. Yes. And yet the the musical performance is the best that they can make it. And this goes for, you know, amateurs. This isn't to do with skill level necessarily. This is a case of, no, we're looking at music in terms of we want it to sound like this in this genre and this style. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely filk because that's the subject matter. Um, this is what we're doing. Yes, we are mocking things, but we are also postulating a few ideas at the same time. And how you present it and perform it, I mean, even if you're singing it in a way that is a bit sarcastic, perhaps, mm -hmm. or you're singing it in a way which is, you know, clearly full of humour and laughing, generally the performance is not cartoonish in itself. No. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it really, really does. Um, now, filkers take a great deal of pride and delight in writing songs which are accurate and clever about their fandoms. Um, the sort of things another fan would really appreciate because it demonstrates the shared understanding of the fandom. Yeah, I'm going to just read a tiny bit of Mutant Generations. It's a parody song sung by Steve MacDonald. Um, you can find it on the album Roundworm, which you can still buy. It's quite difficult to get hold of Phil albums, but they are out there. <laughs> um, it's a parody of Spiral Dance, uh, which was originally written by Anne Prather. But this Mutant Generations is basically a piss take, a loving piss take of Star Trek. So uh, when I was young, I used to wonder, didn't you, why Mr. Spock had one head instead of two? How creatures who are not our distant kin would hit on breathing through the pipe that food goes in. It taught us an unscientific view, the sameness in a Federation crew. And then the chorus is, you'd think the dance of life for several billion years would produce more variation than just pointed ears. <laughs> it violates the laws we thought we knew, the sameness in a Federation crew. I won't read the whole thing, but I would say if you're interested, go and look it up. It's absolutely hilarious and it's done with such love because you start with something very basic like, Oh, yeah, Mr. Spock's ears, but otherwise he looks human because the actor was actually human to the best of our knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it goes on and it talks about some really niche things in Star Trek that quite a lot of people who would consider themselves Trekkies don't necessarily know about. So, for example, in The Next Generation, when they're talking about uh, the million-year-old galaxy seeding program which is why so many dominant forms of life are bipedal and basically humanoid in shape you know it was star trek's attempt to actually explain why all the actors were basically humanoid yeah. <laughs> um, the, the obvious real answer is the fact that we had a limited budget and these were the costumes that would fit yep <laughs> But the world building answer is, no, 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 we had the founders going around and seeding DNA across galaxies, which is why everyone kind of looks a bit human and you can interbreed. <laughs> the fact they managed to get that into the song and make it sound plausible and make it scan, it's just like, I kind of want to give that, that particular verse a round of applause every time I hear it. <laughs> I love it when that happens. Yeah. Now, uh, because of their origins, filk songs also tend to tackle, often humorously, some pretty tough topics um, because uh, speculative fiction, science fiction and fantasy often reflects the problems of real life back to us. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, Madeline actually came up with a really good example by mentioning Aqua's Barbie Girl. Yeah. And it's this idea that we're... So, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of commentary on capitalism in that song. Mm. You have to dig for it because it's bubblegum pop. But... <laughs> And it, it is actually talking about Barbie and it sounds sort of joyous and kind of like, yeah, this is kind of cool. But there is something nice about not playing with Barbie dolls as such, but looking at life in that simplified way. But you can't help listening to that song. And also, if you're listening to the lyrics, sort of thinking, what's the price of that? The fact that, it, you know, life in plastic, it's fantastic. Well, yes, it's plastic. It's not real. Yeah. And Barbie has aspects of being everything doesn't she is barbie the vet barbie the the model barbie the astronaut <laughs> astronaut yeah and you can be anything you want she has no complications everything's sorted out well yeah because she's a plastic doll yeah no I, I i agree and the thing is that also you know sometimes when we when things are reflected back to us it's not always you know bad things um, but they no. can still be big topics as well yeah, absolutely. They definitely can. There's a, I can't remember the name of the. I think the name of the song might be "There's Something Under the Bed," and you know it's not really looking at any specific part of fandom at all, but it is taking that trope of, you know, when you're a child and you've gone to the bathroom in the night and you're going back through the dark and you leap onto your bed so that the thing under your bed doesn't catch your ankle, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And don't and stick like... don't stick your foot off the side of the bed in the night and stuff. Yeah, this this song is about a grown woman lying in bed, sort of battling her childish fear of getting out of the bed because there's something under the bed and it's going to catch her ankle. And it's a very funny song and it's really catchy. <laughs> I now feel like I need to send Madeline to some of my some of my collection of folk music so I can talk about it with her. Yes, I, I'd like that very much. Um, <laughs> and certainly I have listened actually to quite a lot of folk music and I've also written a fair amount of folk music as well. You just didn't have the, the language, did you? I just didn't you? have the was. language. No, but I did. <laughs> I wrote folk music. I wrote folk music for my dissertation. I've obviously written music which is around based around stories from mythology but also from current media and also for my own books and for other people's creative works i have done that so um yes i have written folk music i've been engaged with folk music but i didn't i didn't know that it was called folk music i just called it adaptation essentially yeah. <laughs> uh, not only does it have its own definition it also has a quite a large movement behind it um so I'll, let's look at some of the history so filk has actually been around since the 1950s but it really started to take off in a niche way in the 1970s and it's no coincidence that this coincides with the rising popularity of science fiction fantasy conventions mm. especially star trek probably <laughs> Um, Filk evolved out of the sing-alongs that would just randomly happen at those events late in the evening. So you can imagine it, can't you? You go along, perhaps you're the weirdo in your school, okay? You like this niche thing that nobody else is really into, either because they haven't discovered it yet or just because that's the year when everybody's into team sports or, or, or whatever else. And you're alone and you go to this convention and it's full of your people who would love the same things you do. And nobody wants the day to end, so they're hanging around at this convention right to the end, and then someone pulls out a guitar, because someone has always got a guitar with them. Yep. 
and they start singing and people are like, I love that tune. How about we just played with the lyrics a little bit? And that's how it starts. You take a tune and you play with the lyrics and then eventually original tunes get written and original songs get written. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and to be honest, people do that all the time. And, and even, you know, just when they're bored, they will take tunes and they will change them to fit with things that they're reading or, or watching at the time. I, I, I mean, a real life example was... This is going to sound really stupid, but when we were, when me and my friends were in a choir, we were learning to sing Zadok the Priest. And at the time, the Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy new film had come out. And so a lot of people were rereading the old books. So instead of saying Zadok the Priest, we would say Zaphod the Beetlebrox. <laughs> um... And uh, yeah, and that was the only line. <laughs> it was uh, Zaphod the Beetlebrox and Nathan the Puppet anointed someone king. Um, and we, we got so used to singing this that several of us did actually, on the night of the performance, say Zaphod instead of Zadok. Fortunately, yeah. there were quite a few other people, so it was drowned <laughs> out. But uh, yes. <laughs> it's kind of human nature, isn't it? it to, is. you know, particularly if you've maybe it's a task you don't like that much or maybe it's a task you really like but you cannot help playing with it and particularly if it's something that you have to do over and over and over again eventually you start to make these little paths in your your mind and you cannot help thinking of things differently i'm thinking of all the times that um i used to be on the the welsh squad for karate so i was on the welsh team basically mm -hmm. obviously i was living in wales at the time and it was a really long drive from Aberystwyth over to anywhere where we used to do this. Well, yeah, in fact, just anywhere. It was through the mountains, which made it even longer. And we would listen to music in the car, and it was usually one of the senior grades got to pick the music because that was just how it was. And we were listening to, I don't know if people remember them, but a group called Spooks. And I really quite liked their music because it didn't go too far in the sort of rap and R&B direction, which for me is not always very accessible and that's just personal preference i'm not dissing it i'm just it's not necessarily always for me yeah um but their lyrics were quite poetic and they had sort of some weird spooky concepts like there's one called karma hotel and it's one of the lines was something like welcome to the karma hotel um don't think you're you'll ever be getting out of here alive kind of thing and it was talking about how your your misdeeds will always catch up with you mm. well the problem was after we'd listened to that on a few of these karate jaunts it turned into welcome to the korma hotel <laughs> tastes like heaven but burns like hell <laughs> and i think we had five verses about curry so <laughs> these things happen we mean i don't think we were intentionally filking but it's one of those things isn't it? you substitute yeah. lyrics you do you do and i think I think also the other thing, and this is a very well, you know, documented phenomenon, um, which is that people will have certain songs which they attribute to certain fandoms, which they attribute to certain characters and things like that. And if there's like a strong sense of connection between those things, if you already feel like, wow, this song really fits with this character, you might start kind of fiddling around with some of the lyrics so that it fits even better. Um, and you know, people do that all the time, and people have been using that as a as a medium for an incredibly long time in, in fan circles. So definitely, I mean, it's absolutely something 
not to go off to too much of a tangent, but it's absolutely something that's happened with folk songs, where mm. we cannot trace the origins of a folk song completely, where we're having an argument about whether it actually originated in in Appalachia, for example, or whether it actually originated in Ireland. Um, generally, what's happened there are two different people have kind of had access to the song, and the folklorist has come around and collected the song and basically picked the story he liked best and rejigged things a bit. Yeah. And then the, the origins become sort of muddled in the mists of time. So, yeah, it, it happens a lot. It's kind of human nature. And the whole thing with sort of playlists and stuff where you cannot help... I mean, the number of times Madeline sent me an, a, a song on Spotify or something and mm. said, yeah, this makes me think of this bit. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, you're right. This is absolutely that bit. <laughs> well, there are songs now that I listen to which I, they are just 100% set for one thing and one thing only. Um, there is a song, and I've just forgotten what the title is, but the the lyrics are, there's a ghost upon the moor tonight. Now it's oh. in our house. Is that this, when the sun came The sun came out? It's like the sun came out. Yes, exactly. By... Yeah, St- Start of Time. Start of Time yeah. by Gabrielle um, Aplin. Um, and that song is just 100% I Belong to the Earth for me because I listened to it it's talking about ghosts on the moor and then the sun came out and Kieran is obviously you know described as being sort of sunny and and stuff I just it's just 100% (laughs) that I see nothing else whenever I hear that song and Madeline sent me a message saying Jules 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 you've got to listen to this song it is absolutely um I belong to the earth and I listened to it I was like okay that song is always going to be that for me now (laughs) because you're right Uh, so yeah, I well understand why people will take a song and just change the lyrics slightly so it fits even better. I'm sure this happened a lot in the Supernatural fandom, particularly. Yes, I'm, I'm fairly sure that it did happen. In fact, within the Supernatural fandom, there was a whole musical episode where there was a musical about Supernatural. So they had folk music in that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so uh, the term... The terminology. <laughs> Where did the term filk come from? Well, filk was a misspelling from the title on a 1950s essay by Lee Jacobs called The Influence of Science Fiction and Fantasy on Modern Folk Music, except he spelt it filk. Um, now, because of the, the way filk engages with its subject matter, there's, there's kind of a no-holds-barred approach when it comes to the subject matter Mm. Um, but it the filkers tend to treat each other and you know newbies and amateurs and people who haven't you know they haven't attained a high skill level yet with a lot of you know compassion and grace uh, which is really nice but the subject matter anything goes so for the 1950s it was considered this essay contained far too much sort of sex and violence basically (laughs) so in the end the editor didn't basically didn't publish it he was kind of like i can't do it or shut the magazine down yeah um that was the spectator amateur press society and but he did find that the term filk was very very amusing and i think he was involved with the movement as well so it stuck so this typo just basically became (laughs) became the name of this science fiction fantasy and horror music movement see i feel much better now about being like do you mean folk it's like, there's a funny story about this, Madeline, but I'm not going to tell you right now. <laughs> That's incredible. 
Um, of course, you know, as sci- um, sci-fi and fantasy conventions became more elaborate, filking, that is, setting up a bardic circle later in the evening and singing filk songs late into the night, became more of an expected event rather than just a um, just kind of an added on sort of extra. Um, and there are now filk societies all over the world. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, I've never gone to a folk circle either, or a folk event. I'd love to, actually. I should at some point. Oh, you really should, um, seriously. <laughs> I, I absolutely should. But I, I think filk follows similar parameters, um, whereby you, have, you might have a bardic circle. And the point of a bardic circle, as I understand it, with filk and possibly with folk as well, is that you, you, know, you all sit around in a circle with your portable instruments, whatever, and people take turns mm-hmm. to put something forward. Um, they also have chaos circles, which is basically someone starts off and then the next person just goes you know, with the song that they think answers that song really well. Yeah. Um, and it, those circles kind of jive off of, of the energy, if you like, but there's no real order. Although there is etiquette, as in you should try not to interrupt somebody mm-hmm. and you should try not to... If someone, two people start at the same time, one person kind of needs to back, back down a bit. Yeah. And everybody gets a go. I mean, the last thing you want in any sort of singing event is where you've got one person who, you know, you might listen to them with pleasure once because they have a great voice or a great song or whatever, and then they just keep going. And it's like Mary Bennett performing. (laughs) Yes. And it's kind of like, no, you've delighted the audience enough. Let somebody else have a go. Share the music. Don't just try and hog the spotlight. Yeah. Um, And then they have a, a kind of like a combination chaos. I can't remember what they call it, a chaos bardic circle, but where basically it is kind of like one song is put forward as a question and it's answered with another song and then the next one, but it's more ordered and you have somebody kind of overseeing it. And that's a little bit more friendly for new people who've come along really, really scared for the first time. Yeah, it's so you get this a lot at folk festivals um, where, yeah, you have the kind of the organised circles and then there's the after after sort of dinner event, as it were. I say after dinner. It's at the end, all the acts are finished, everyone is in the beer tent and that's when the chaos circles begin. Yeah. Um, and they are... It's amazing to behold because it, it will start off um, with just one person singing a little something, you know, just in the side, and more and more people will join in, and then people will come in with instruments. Um, and sometimes the song won't even end, it'll just merge into something else. Like two songs will be going at the same time, um, in the same key, you know, where they'll be sort of coming together or, or they'll mix. And it's one of the weirdest, but also most fantastic kind of experiences ever. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of the, you know, in Pitch Perfect, where they they have that sort of almost like sing-off type thing. Yeah. Where you get the different different acapella groups sort of all meeting in this um, parking lot. Yeah. And basically having a sing-off for points. And it's like that. And I'm like, yeah, I can see that being a lot of fun. I've certainly done similar things with big groups of friends where someone started singing, someone else has sung something else. And so it's kind of like that, but not organised. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, I'm going to ramble, hopefully not too much, but a little bit about why filk for me. And obviously Madeline will put in what she thinks about why filk for her as well. Um, But certainly in my case, it's a personal thing, but 
yes I have eclectic taste in music as in I like almost everything there are a few things like some very experimental jazz which I just cannot get behind and there are other things which I'm like that it's not really my preference but you know I'll give almost anything a go and obviously I've got my favorites and I'm genuinely bewildered when I meet, meet people who say oh and you say what music do you like and they're kind of like oh I'm not really fussed about music um, in fact, I'm even slightly suspicious. I'm kind of like, okay, what's missing? <laughs> um, clearly a me thing. But yeah, as I said, I've obviously had, I have favourite artists and at different times in my life, I've needed different styles and genres of music. As in, I had a phase of listening to a lot of Cradle of Filth, which is literally very, very poetic lyrics screamed high volume <laughs> over rock music which is set on top of beautiful piano and violin music and yeah it the the actual accomplishment is really really good but you'd listen to it and it's kind of like oh my god it's just noise it's making my ears bleed <laughs> um, i don't really need cradle of filth in the same way anymore but as a teenager so you know you need different things at, at different ages and different times in your life yeah um but I have to say, it's only when I found Filk, which I found comparatively recently, that I had that light bulb moment. So he was a type of music that didn't confine itself to singing about the normal stuff that we get in almost all mainstream music. So it wasn't just about love. You noticed how, like, I don't know, 90% of songs are about love in some form. Yeah. And I'm not dissing that, but I, I feel there are different ways to approach it. Mm. Or jealousy, or making money, or, you know... And while I've really enjoyed some songs, lots of songs, in fact, in mainstream music, it always felt slightly hollow to me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the Filk wanted to address ideas found in science fiction and fantasy. It was silly and it was accomplished. It managed to bring in folk music and make it work hand in hand with show tunes and opera and rock and indie and a variety of other influences. Um, you know, it was smart and sassy and it lacked the commercial cynicism that you find in overly produced industry music yeah. today, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And again, this isn't me saying, oh, Filk is therefore the superior music form. It's not that at all. And, uh, you know, this is just about kind of personal preference. And I completely see your point of view um, here, particularly if you're kind of looking for something a little bit different. Yeah, I think it's probably the music version of being the one person who liked something at a school and then going to a sci-fi convention and finding yourself surrounded by your people. Yeah. I felt like I'd finally been welcomed in because here was a group of people of varying different genres and backgrounds, etc., who were all inclusive and wanted to sing about the weird shit that happens in fairy tales yeah. or folklore, or they wanted to sing about... Uh, Star Trek, as we know, or um, just weird concepts like things lurking under the bed. Yeah, absolutely. And do it, do it really well as well. Uh, anyway, it was the perfect bridge for me to start writing songs of my own. Um, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. I am complaining about myself, my ability <laughs> definitely. I'm not claiming to be a great songwriter or even a good or a competent one. <laughs> I'm entirely self-taught. I didn't have music lessons as a child other than singing lessons because we couldn't afford it. So yeah, I went to a convent school. You cannot go to a convent school, or certainly not in my day, without getting some classical voice training because that's just one of the things considered appropriate for young ladies. 
Uh, but if you wanted to learn a musical instrument or anything, it was extra on top. And we just didn't have the money for it. So that was the way it was. And none of my family played a musical instrument either. Mm. I think if somebody in my family had, I might have gravitated towards it a bit sooner. Mm. So basically everything I know is what I have learned from reading books and experimenting. Um, I, le I taught myself to read and write musical notation um, because, again, <laughs> the, the ability to get to and afford lessons was not something that was forthcoming. Mm. And I'm not saying you actually have to be able to read and write music perfectly in order to write songs, by the way, because God knows I don't read and write perfectly. Um, so basically what I'm saying that is, yes, it's definitely amateur hour when I write a song. But if you're writing a filk song, it kind of doesn't matter because filk is forgiving. It welcomes anyone who wants to try regardless of skill level. It's also fun, so it doesn't feel like there's a lot riding on it. Mm. Um, there's, we've, something we've mentioned before is the fact that it can be really hard to write for fun as a professional writer yeah. because you have to get words down and get them formatted and edited, etc., and put out there because it's part of your livelihood, if not your livelihood on its own. So taking time to actually do something fun means sort of changing things up a bit, writing poetry, writing short stories, writing a song. And it's quite a good way to do that. So writing science fiction fantasy fan songs yeah. worked really, really well for me. <laughs> well, in terms of it worked well for me to do something fun with writing that engaged music and that I didn't have to share with anyone <laughs> that wasn't for consumption. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting, you know, listening to your experience of that because I would say that I've probably had a very similar experience. A lot of the songs that I started writing um, were almost always connected with some of the stories that I was working on, some of the things that I was reading or watching at the time, certainly if not in terms of plot, in terms of themes and things like that. So I think I was probably some of my first pieces of written music were definitely filk um, as well and remained so. Now I was incredibly fortunate. Um, I do come from a very musical family. Uh, everyone in my family plays an instrument um, of some kind or had uh, singing training um, in some form or another. Now my father plays guitar and piano so I was taught both of those things from a young age um, and then I basically picked up various instruments as I went along and I have so many instruments it's actually criminal how many instruments I have. I really don't shouldn't have all of them but I do. Um, and I love to play them and I was very fortunate in that I did get training because I actually got a music scholarship to my university, uh, which meant that I could get lessons and, and, you know, and continue lessons as well because um, I was very fortunate in my upbringing. Uh, and that all contributed that when it actually came to my dissertation, I wrote an album of folk music. And looking back, the majority of it is actually filk. <laughs> you just needed the terminology. I just needed apparently. the terminology. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It's filk. Um, so, 
and I think that's largely what I've been writing. And th here I've been like, what? What am I writing? What is this genre that I'm writing? Because I'd sort of cross between them. It's all filk. It's all filk. So um, that's that's good to know. Thank you um, <laughs> for 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 telling me that. Now I haven't. Sh I've only shared some of the music. Some of it's been recorded properly. Some of it I will never show anyone except maybe Jules and some other close friends <laughs> keep it closely guarded um, but yeah it's it is a great deal of fun and you're right in that it does take a lot of the pressure off as well I think one of the most recent songs I say recent one of the most recent songs I recorded was The King and the Corrigan which is a folk song which is just within the Hamartia cycle um, it's not actually about the Hamartia cycle. You don't need to really kind of read or... <laughs> but it's kind of a song that would be sung by someone, a character in yes, the Hamartia cycle. Yes, that's exactly so what it is. technically it is in fact, you've written Filk of your own work. Yes, I have. And I've written several pieces of Filk for my own world, including... So I've written The King and the Corrigan. I've written the Hamartia cycle theme song. I've written um, uh, Swallows. Uh, um very in fact i think i've written about five or six songs which just for the hamartia cycle so i've written filk of my own work <laughs> um i think the the added bonus with if you decide to write songs and you kind of go for filk or you know filk it feels like filk chooses you to be honest yeah that's kind of how it felt to me filk chooses um, the wizard filk harry chooses you. <laughs> But I mean, I think there's a lot of misconceptions. So in the same way, there are misconceptions about you should be writing literary fiction. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. There's a sense with writing music or writing songs that you should be doing a number of things. So, for example, you should be engaging with a serious and well-trodden topic that will sell. Mm -hmm. So, you know, love, cheating, etc. Yeah, um, you, you should be able to expertly play a musical instrument. Yes. You know, and we even know that that's bollocks because uh, was it Buddy Holly could only manage four chords? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. But what he couldn't do with those four chords and so many pop and rock songs are actually built on four chords. So it, on, on literally those same four chords as well. Yeah, seriously. So you can you can do a lot there um, that you need to be able to read and write musical notation flawlessly. Well, you know, when you get onto things like Chopin, it's actually his. Have you looked at his musical notation? <laughs> it looks like he's hemorrhaging notes onto the page. Chopin, yeah. That's I love Chopin. I, I love Chopin. I, I love Debussy, but that's Chopin and Debussy. <laughs> that was me going. I, you know, I feel quite confident now. I'm going to try reading this, and I'm like, right, okay, yeah. Um, this is basically like somebody who's just finished the start to read section of their library going on and finding some hefty Russian literature. Yes. <laughs> it's not the same thing. So yeah, with a lot of practice, I'm sure I could get there. Or I could read a simplified version of it and it would probably be close enough for me since I'm not going to be a classical pianist. Yeah. Um, yeah, all that you need, the biggest one, the one I think that got me was that you needed to start young with a musical instrument. Otherwise there was no point trying. Yeah. And it's not true. You can pick up a musical instrument and you can learn at any point in your life. Now, obviously with things like guitar, your chord changes are probably not going to be as quick or you're not going to get to the same level of speed as you would if you had started as a child or a teenager. 
um, because various things to do with how your hands age yes. <laughs> obviously get in the way. Um, and then I would say it's probably similar for something like piano. And obviously yeah. learning breath control for a woodwind instrument is more difficult as you get older. So maybe it's more difficult, but it doesn't mean it's pointless. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's like with everything, it takes time. And yes, there's definitely an advantage to starting at a young age, just like there's an advantage to starting languages at a young age and things like that. Um, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. It can just be slightly harder work. And for some people it'll be easier and for some people it'll be harder. One thing you do need to consider is the accessibility of the instrument. Picking up a guitar is very easy. Guitars, you can get them very cheaply. You can also get keyboards pretty cheaply as well. Um, but guitars, I think, certainly are the cheapest and most easily accessible instruments, along with ukuleles and mandolins and things like that. Um, Personally, from a very personal standpoint, I think two of the best instruments to start off with outside of the voice are probably guitar and piano. Um, just because yeah, of the range, just because of the range that you can get with them. And certainly if you do have some kind of background in guitar, that opens up the doorway to lots of other instruments. Um, and it's the same with the piano, it does open up the doorway a lot. So um, that's worth thinking about. And I have to say it sort of all feeds into each other. So once you've learned a reasonable amount on, say, guitar or piano, then as Madeline says, yes, it, it opens the door to everything else because you can get the basics on something that is, re you know, relatively easy with some work mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To, to kind of to grasp. So, yeah, you don't have to start a junk. The other thing is it's this ongoing lie that if we're doing something, we must be doing it to create something for commercial consumption yeah that's it's just that's not healthy you can just do things for the enjoyment of doing them that yeah that that's okay i sometimes envy children who who get like stickers you know yes and they just put the stickers everywhere there's no reason there's no order to it but there doesn't have to be because they're not doing anything other than you know they're not thinking does that look pretty artistically does that work well they're just having fun they're just putting the stickers where they want the stickers and you know what like kudos to you i appreciate that we see you kids <laughs> yeah absolutely it's kind of like why are you coloring the sky green because i think it should be a green sky you know what why not absolutely right you know that there, there are <laughs> what was it um Oh, I've just forgot. It was was it Picasso who actually said, um, you know, it took him years and years to be able to just paint like a child again. Like that was the goal, you know. Yes. Um, now, personally, I think, oh yeah, that's a nice statement. It also sounds a tiny bit pretentious, but <laughs> I don't feel I like I'm allowed of... to say that. But <laughs> yeah, no, I kind of get the sentiment behind what he was saying. But yeah, I'm sure it was a curated answer yes. shall we say yeah um, um and i don't blame him his livelihood was kind of writing on it yeah no, and that's and that's absolutely fair enough um but i do think there is something to be said about the pure joy and release of just enjoying creating something um not because you're trying to make money out of it but just because it feels fun and because it's yeah. good so, you know what, you write that Stephen King fan song if you want to. Um, write it for yourself. Write it just because you're enjoying the process of creation and you'll never listen to it again. 
or play it again even, uh, write it to share with your, your other friend who is a Stephen King fan. <laughs> so you can giggle over it together. Um, yeah, or write it and work on it and work on it and, and get it to a level where you might want to, you know, put it up on on iTunes or something. There's a an artist who I can't say her name, but uh, she goes by uh, Carlian. And she write most of what she writes is actually fan songs. And she started off just putting them up on YouTube randomly, got mm. a big following. And now she supports herself by writing fan songs because there are fans out there looking for songs about the stuff they like. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's an artist, uh, Beth Crowley, I think it is. Yeah. Um, so I remember listening to some songs by her. Um, one of them's Hard to Kill... Uh, she has another one, um, which is, I think it's Birds of a Feather or something, or maybe it's Warrior or something like that. Um, and I was listening to it and I was like, wow, I'm getting real big um, Six of Crows vibes. And then I found out that they were actually written for, based on Six of Crows. Yeah. Um, and she's on she's on Spotify now and stuff like that. You know, and I yeah. think she did just start off on YouTube. I don't know that much about her. Um, but, yeah, she she has a whole bunch of, um, of, of songs which are based on YA books, essentially. Yeah, so, you know, we don't have to stick to the well-trodden path based on what the industry thinks will sell. Anything goes from just writing it for yourself because you're having fun mm-hmm. to writing it with a view to eventually having a career in music, but you want a non-conventional career, perhaps on a subscriber basis or something. Yeah. It's absolutely doable these days. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so here's the thing. You've already listened to filk music, assuming you listen to music at all. <laughs> uh, you just don't know it yet. Yeah. Um, a lot of accomplished mainstream musicians have written at least one filk song and sold it and maybe had a hit with it. They might consider it filk and they might not consider it filk. But if we look at the parameters, a lot of them clearly fit. Yes. And, you know, we're including things like like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, obviously, uh, I mean, Led, I'm pretty sure Led Zeppelin as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> pretty much all of the big ones have in some way kind of sort of tapped into that I, I think one of my favourites um, is uh, Muse Muse did a whole Filk album yeah and they probably wouldn't call it Filk and they might not even know the term but you know apparently you can write albums that are Filk albums and yeah. not know they're Filk and and for anyone wondering, okay, hang on a second, what's the Filk album they they did? Um, it's the Resistance. The whole song, the the whole song, the whole album, links to nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Um, you know, it, and and not just once or twice. Each of the songs, you know, the the talking about uh, the secret police, etc., the Resistance blah 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 and obviously that whole that there are the massive themes which go along with that topic which we discussed earlier um were very kind of you know are on the minds of of people in terms of liberty in terms of freedom in terms of being constantly watched surveyed etc yeah definitely 
So yes, yeah, some bands spend a lot of time engaging with science fiction, fantasy themes and concepts in their mainstream music. Mm -hmm. Some, like Muse, basically write a Filk album, but don't call it Filk. Um, and there are individual songs that may not technically be Filk, but they're close enough, mm -hmm. I think is fair to say. Yes. Okay, so some examples. These are ones that struck me that I wouldn't have known until comparatively recently were actually Filk, but the more... I'm, you know, there's been a Kate Bush revival recently, <laughs> thanks yes, to Stranger has. Things. Um, <laughs> that song is this. such a banger, though. I've been listening to that song repeatedly since forever. And <laughs> it's a great <laughs> song. A great song. Uh, okay, since we're going to go on this tangent, brief tangent. It's a great song. That song is absolutely about swapping genders during sex. Yes, I know. Which I think is great. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you know. I'm saying <laughs> anyone yes, else has picked up on it. It's... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've always I've been a fan of Kate Bush since I was about eight years old. Now, obviously, some of the more adult themes would have gone over my head back then, um, but listening to it again, all through my twenties, thirties, and, and whatever, um, Kate Bush has brought an awful lot to my music tables, for which I thank her. Um, <laughs> so yes, probably the one from Kate Bush that stuck in my head immediately from a very early age is Wuthering Heights, which I encountered way before I counted the book. Uh, I encountered the book rather um, because I would have been you know eight nine maybe eight def mm -hmm. I think eight and dad was a Kate Bush fan so you know a lot of my my very early childhood music taste was shaped by what my dad was listening to yeah and that's gone on into her life I mean she's got this amazing haunting voice and she really can put together a song yes she absolutely can and I remember listening to the song and thinking, I quite like the tune. And then listening to it more and thinking, this is a song about a ghost. She's haunting him. She's outside this big house. Why isn't he letting her in? And then some of the things the ghost is saying to this weird Heathcliff person, who the hell is he? I mean, mm -hmm. again, I was eight years old. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, it was kind of like, what the hell is going on? And the strangest thing about the song was instead of asking other people for answers like asking my dad what the song is about I didn't want answers from other people I just wanted to chew it over in my own mind which I then did right up until I I you know read the book when I was 14 mm. and it was impossible to separate the two this this idea of this this terrible so-called love story and obviously we know that Wuthering Heights and I have a troubled relationship that we can't quit. <laughs> because, you know, we've talked about it. Yes. <laughs> There's only recently I loaded in and gone, Kate Bush wants to write a song about Wuthering Heights. She really got everything about that book. Well, certainly about, or, you know, a lot of folk songs, what they do, they don't write about the entire book. They write about the aspect, the trope, the thing yeah. that got them, which is what makes folk so powerful. I'm like, she wrote a goddamn filk song about Wuthering Heights. <laughs> she did. I've got a, f a slight tangent for you because I think it's a funny story. Would you would you accept this? I, I, I will accept the tangent. Okay, so um, I have an uncle. Uh, he is six foot four. He is a train driver. Very intelligent man. He's into architecture, into cycling. Um, and he is big, big, big into folk music. He was the one who took me to my first folk festival. Um, he 
sings folk music so he's been like um the kind of the starter up for for other bands and things like that he's part of like folk societies etc um he really really loves uh line dancing and things like that which obviously you get in um you know it in, in sort of tents they're called they're called Kayleys, but yeah i'm not going to get into the whole language of that um and you know and he runs them as well he does lessons and stuff like that really 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 big into it now i I want you to imagine this man okay he is six foot four he's bald he's got quite slavic features um to be honest his one of his nicknames is scary dave Okay? okay um and one of the songs that he will sing at a folk festival in front of everyone is he will he will start singing um Wuthering Heights. Uh, <laughs> now I want you to imagine it. <laughs> I'm assuming he changes the key slightly. He does he does change the key, yes, because I think that that is a little bit otherwise would be very, very difficult. But by God, and there there are actually I think Blozabella actually filmed him in one of the beer tents after I, I, I don't I don't know if it was Shrewsbury or if it was another folk festival um, and I think it was Blozabella who filmed him but I might be wrong um just just doing the performance with everyone just around like singing along to <laughs> brilliant <laughs> but the point is um that it is a song which kind of it surpasses genres in some ways it's iconic yeah you know? i mean i'm just listening to that story and i'm like yeah you could absolutely sing that as a folk song and it wouldn't be out of place you could sing it as an opera and it wouldn't be out of place you could sing it as a rock song and it's kind of presented as a rock opera when kate bush does isn't it so yeah exactly um and the, the fact of the matter is that there he is he's at a folk he's at a folk festival he's singing this song um and no one no one is going hold on a second that's not folk music no one is sort of they're all joining in they're all singing along because it's kate bush you know <laughs> yeah. no one's gonna argue with that <laughs> i mean in in fairness while we're on the subject of kate bush i know i've got her one of her songs a bit later on as well but a lot of she's very lyric focused and the music is so good that you could listen to the music and not take on board the lyrics but what her her lyrics do a lot of it is engaging with some quite difficult topics or engaging with what was considered back in the 80s and um, some quite risque topics she really wanted to engage with sexuality and you know particularly female sexuality and the fact that it's okay for us to to enjoy it Mm mm-hmm um, yeah, and she did it in a way that was. If you compared her to a, one, a contemporary artist, say Madonna, Madonna yeah. was again someone who really pushed female sexuality to the forefront of her act. But Kate Bush did it in a completely different way. Kate Bush was kind of like, um, here are some, here are the things that sort of surround it. Let's have a very frank conversation. Whereas Madonna was kind of like, if you don't like it, you can sod off. If you yeah. see what I mean. Yeah, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, but, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's just not. different. Yeah, definitely. So, and a lot of her songs. So, you know, there's the Babushka, which is all about a an older woman who wants to test her husband. So she writes him love letters, posing as a younger woman, and signs the letters Babushka. Babushka being obviously old woman or grandmother. Yeah. And 
she wants him to say, oh my God, this woman is harassing me and thrust the letters aside. But of course, the letters remind him of his wife, the wife, the woman he'd married. He remind, It reminds him of her when she was younger and they still had fun together. Mm. And she didn't, she wasn't str- struggling with things like depression. And so he's actually kind of delighted to receive these letters because it feels like he's got his wife back except it's not he's kind of got this pen pal mistress (laughs) so her plan blows up in her face and i'm like okay that's not technically a science fiction fantasy thing but that's very filky yeah and i think this is sort of where you you start to kind of move into the territory of music which has a very deliberate narrative or a very deliberate story which again kind of touches in on folk songs as well which tended to also have that traditionally um so yeah i can understand how it's a sort of a slippery kind of slide how how it 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 sort of all merges into each other yeah definitely it i mean at a certain point all genres kind of reach the sea don't they because they're all music yeah um okay the next one i would um there's two actually i'll talk about them together but do you remember jack black's band tenacious d yes <laughs> now technically tribute probably isn't really filk but the way they perform it is absolutely filk and it's basically a spoof take on the the old the devil went down to georgia and you know the song where he loses his golden fiddle yes in a, yeah. uh, which is based on a folk ballad i believe yeah um this is and they were doing the same thing to you know jack black basically playing himself and his buddy and they were walking down this road at night and the devil appears to them <laughs> and says play the best song in the world <laughs> and that and so they do they in the song they, they play and they absolutely rock it you know yeah but i love the fact that in the song they say this isn't the best song in the world this is a tribute of the best song in the world we <laughs> Because they can't really remember exactly what they played, but they did yes. try to devil off with it. But it, it, you know, this isn't actually the greatest song in the world. It's just a, you know, a trip, and it's really funny. I love it's, the way they did that. It's, it is an iconic song. It's just the, uh, be you angels, nay, we are but men. Rock on! <laughs> it's such a good song. Amazing. <laughs> the video is hilarious it just goes to show you can write a fantastic piece of music that tells a story and not take yourself too seriously and yet still yes. be absolutely as you say iconic yeah absolutely you really really can um, and I, I do i do think that actually there have been when we look back at sort of some of the most iconic songs songs which really stick in history things like bohemian rhapsody what what is bohemian rhapsody no one really knows <laughs> well, when no. when Freddie Mercury was asked to explain it, he was he was like, "Well, a rhapsody is a you know a a long prose poem which explores a state of mind, etc." And I'm like, "That is probably as close as you're going to get to yeah to what's going on there, because there is a lot going on in that song. There is so much going on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, the other Tenacious D offering is Hero, which came out during the time that I think it was between the Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers were airing in the cinema. Mm-hmm. And basically, yeah, it, it, the whole the, the song is basically about the hero's journey, and they're obviously taking the piss, but they're singing it in such a serious way, in quite an emotional um, ballad type way, mm-hmm. that you, you're listening to it, and it's kind of like, oh, this is a really great song, and then you really listen to the lyrics, it's like, oh, you're taking the piss out of the tro- chosen one. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> but you're also celebrating it at the same time. Yeah. So always, always um, enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so toss a coin to your witcher. Yeah, it's a complicated choice. I maintain that it is Filk, even though it was written for The Witcher, the series, literally. Mm -hmm. But it is a song about the whole, the whole thing about being a Witcher and you know cleaning up Geralt's image. And yeah, you know, if, okay, it really gets stuck in your head. It's an absolute earworm, which was how it was designed, obviously. Yeah, there's so many layers to this. I st I still think it's Filk. In my opinion. I can I can definitely agree with you on that. It's quite interesting though because um well there's lots and lots of different songs actually within the uh it's not just um Toss a Coin to Your Witcher. There are several songs which were written which you don't actually hear necessarily within the the episodes themselves, which is what kind of makes me feel like they are filk. Um, for example, obviously you get Toss a Coin to Your Witcher, which is very prominent, but you also have her Sweet Kiss, which is fantastic. And then for season two, <laughs> you have all of these other um, these other songs as well. Yeah. Um, including things like uh, the golden one which you only kind of really hear about within the st within season two where Yaskia is arguing with the guy at, at the um, at the docks about it but you never hear him sing it but you can hear it in sort of the album and so it does feel like filth music because it's a song all about what happened in season one <laughs> yeah <definitely. laughs> with the dragon hunts and it's it's so clever to have that in there as kind of like a recap yeah um, and also burn butcher burn which you know, yeah i would say is technically filk even though it really is kind of like no this is this is very much just looking at this friendship and how it went yeah, a bit wrong it, yeah, a lot wrong <laughs> so definitely um we should talk about the amazing devil at the same time because yes. even when they are not singing what you could technically refer to as filk songs again they draw from many musical genres, can't speak mm -hmm. and there is a, a filk feel about the whole thing. This is why I love the album when you first said, oh, you've got to try The Amazing Devil. Yeah. I'm like, this is filk. This is kind of filk. <laughs> it really is, actually. Um, and I think it's largely, there's two elements that really kind of make it stand out and make it feel like filk. Uh, the first one is the very, the, the, the narrative nature of each of the songs. Yeah. which is one of the things I absolutely love about it, and I know that Jules does as well, is that each one feels like a contained sort of little story, a little slice of life, um, and it feels very specific. And I think the fact that it feels very specific um, in particular kind of brings things to life. Um, and the, the way that they use the lyrics as well to conjure up certain images. Like, there is one line that I absolutely love, um, uh, in in the wild which yeah. is uh, give me back my heart you wingless thing what a line yeah. what does that even mean but i love it <laughs> yeah it's really good um i love music where you can unpack it further and basically yeah the tune is telling you something and then you delve mm -hmm. into the lyrics and then you delve into the metaphor behind the lyrics and it's kind of like what the hell you know <laughs> there's yeah. a lot going on here um, 
couple of quick mentions. I mentioned the David, the newer David Gray album. Who, again, I wasn't a massive fan of his, but I really liked Skellig, which is the name of the album. Um, yeah. And Skellig is the name of one of the songs. Skellig is a, an older junior fiction book about a sort of angelic creature, but there's some weird sort of whimsy and eeriness going on. And the song captures it perfectly. It's basically Skellig. And mm. it's kind of talking about his relationship with that book. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Um, and I should also say that I think with Filk, you can actually also have purely instrumental pieces as well. It doesn't actually have oh to God. always be lyrics. Yeah, totally. It? No, it really doesn't. Um, because I, I do know that there is a whole bunch of stuff for the Witcher games with people who actually wrote songs for the Witcher games, um, but without it actually being the Witcher as it were so it wasn't actually used in official capacity it was all just fan made stuff yeah um, because it was just so popular yeah when i mean I, when i first started my stumbling my foray into writing filk my my first filky piece as it were was um a piece of music which is supposed to just capture i belong to the earth mm. and the fact that you've got um haze out on the moor and the fact yeah. that it's, you know, it, it's genuinely dangerous, but also that there's a lot of tragedy there as well. I'm not sure if I've actually pulled it off, but it was an instrumental piece. So, yes, I absolutely <laughs> see what you mean. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> now I really want to hear it. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> um, we've obviously talked about Kate Bush a lot, but the Red Shoes, the Red Shoes, the song is literally based on both the ballet uh, movie which is the red shoes based on the hans christian anderson fairy tale the red shoes mm -hmm. and kate bush is drawn from both and again it is a very filky piece yeah absolutely um i mentioned carly and earlier she's done loads and loads of folk songs she's done folk songs folk songs filk songs see i'm typo the wrong way around you're doing it as well yeah <laughs> um filk songs for things like outlander uh for Oh God, she, literally, you know, a long running series that she can get her teeth into. She's kind of like, I want to write a song about it. And I really <laughs> respect that. But um, she did one for Hannibal, which I didn't really watch. But there's this great song called Become the Beast. And it's about, it's, it's basically embracing the darkness inside yourself, the part of you that wants to kill, which is very appropriate for Hannibal, obviously. <laughs> I did not realise that that was written for Hannibal. Yeah. Makes sense, doesn't um, it? I've always it... been a hunter. Yeah. You don't have to hide. Oh, oh God. Oh, no. <laughs> I did not realise that. Yeah. <laughs> but now you know. <laughs> That's been on my playlist for years. <laughs> yeah, it's been on my... Because I was following her. Um, yeah. I sort of got the backstory in a lot of these little songs. So. Um, I'll, I'll finish off with one of my favourite Filk songs which is basically presented at show tune fashion. And if I ever, if I've ever got the leisure and the skill to do this, I'm going to bully Madeline into performing this with me because this is a two woman duet okay. <laughs> that looks at the mad scientist trope and it actually mentions Frankenstein. Okay. And All right. It, you, you, called, have, you have interest. You have piqued my interest. It's called What a Woman's <laughs> For, and it is. It's fantastic. It's an amazing bit of storytelling through music. 
So yes, but I'm going to draw. I'm going to draw the examples to a close there because otherwise I will just keep talking about my favourite folk songs. <laughs> yes, but hopefully we've been able to demonstrate that filk really is all around us. Um, you have probably actually been listening to filk music all along perhaps knowingly perhaps not knowingly perhaps you knew what it was but you didn't know what the name was like me um hopefully you've walked away from this episode uh with more knowledge and perhaps a desire to go out and write some filk music for yourself um we would love to hear what some of your favorite filk music is we'd love to hear your filk music too if you write any um remember you can send us stuff uh suggestions things like that via our facebook our tumblr and our twitter both individually or through the dissecting dragons pages we love hearing from you guys um so just wrapping that last bit up obviously there are hundreds of examples of filk sneaking into mainstream music and even more songs which reference fairy tales and science fiction fantasy and horror in passing i mean mm. lots, you know art begets art doesn't it we've talked about that before yeah. But, but Filk is the body of folk song, so kind of like a body of myth, if you want, for speculative fiction. So it is worth paying attention to. Yes. I love that. Yes. Um, now, if... Sorry, carry on. Now, I was just going to say that if you like music and you like writing, do give it a go. Remember, it can just be for fun. Absolutely. Okay? So uh, we're just going to finish off with our experiences writing slash performing, not very much performing except for my cats, in my case, <laughs> filk, or, or for writing for our own, you know, filk type music for our own work. Um, well, you know, I, I have, I've written a fair amount of filk. I have actually performed a fair amount of filk, some of, of my own music as well. Um, as I mentioned, I was a music scholar and part of that did involve me actually having to do a fair amount of performances um, and some of those did include my own work. So uh, I've definitely performed filk music um, and it's been fantastic. Um, I've actually performed filk music both so I've performed, I actually performed filk music on stage at Shrewsbury Folk Festival, which was amazing, an amazing experience. Yeah, it sounds it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I really, really do love writing music anyway. Um, I feel like I haven't really had the chance to do so. But having discussed this now, I, I'm like itching to go and write some more. <laughs> Yeah, it gets you like that, doesn't it? It's like, it really um, does. <laughs> I think it really sort of, I mean, obviously, as I said, it's mostly with urban fantasy. Um, I tend to just adapt folk songs for my historical fiction as needed because that seems to work better. And obviously it's already in a historical record. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just remembering what I do with Kestrel in that yeah. sense. Um, sorry, <laughs> please no, continue. That's okay. <laughs> Um, with uh, with what I've written for Urban Fantasy, um, it's really sort of crystallised around this band who's only sort of tangentially involved in Harker and Blackthorn, Blood and Chocolate. They are coming back later in the series for those people who are interested. Yeah, um, they've got a, they've got a couple of little things they need to do, but their music comes up quite a lot because you know why. <laughs> the thing is. As authors, we cannot just go, oh, this song is perfect for this. It was written by somebody else. I'm just going to quote their lyrics. We, we, you know, that's copyright infringement, which is yeah. 
part of the reason you end up writing your own songs, your own versions of things. Um, mm. In my case, I just went, I'm just going to completely make up this band. I wish this band existed and I'm going to write songs for them. And their focus is going to be on a very dark understanding of folklore, but they're going to sing it in a sort of goth rock type way. Yeah, and that's that's where they're going. And, you know, I've got one that comes up in the book that I'm writing at the moment, Nightmare Trail. Uh, the name actually comes from one of their songs. Oh, that's nice. Uh, which is uh, a song called She Wore Red, which is basically a sort of flipped version of um, Little Red Riding Hood. Ah. So that's what I've worked on with that. And I, it was one of those things where I couldn't get the tune out of my head until I'd played it on the piano. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, I may as well write the notation down now. <laughs> yeah, that is, I love it when that happens. <laughs> that's very, very cool. Um, and other bits, and you know, they, they do a lot of bits of fairy tales. I mean, there's a whole probably back catalogue of blood and chocolate type type songs in there, which would be fun. I mean, the name blood and chocolate is taken from a book about werewolves. So yes. Yeah. Again, then they're advertising exactly what they do. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also have a few that are, you know, kind of I, I suppose they're kind of fan songs. I wrote a fan song for Stephen King's It, which I'm not going to share with anybody, but it was a really fun process. <laughs> I wrote a... Or rather, I actually adapted a song that I had originally written a while ago uh, for The Walking Dead. Okay. Um, that one actually is available. Um, and I should say it was it was it was inspired by elements of The Walking Dead. Um, it was meant to be about something else as well, uh, but it, it is called The Walking Dead in kind of honour of The Walking Dead. The concept of The Walking Dead, which was that if you watch if you read the comics of The Walking Dead, the whole the whole idea isn't actually that uh, the Walkers are are The Walking Dead. It's that the the survivors are the walking dead because yeah they're you know they're literally on borrowed time um so it's kind of it, it was that concept that i was playing with that i just thought was such a fantastic concept um yeah <laughs> so you can Ooh. find it <laughs> it is just free on uh on soundcloud <laughs> it's like um i think a while back, I recommended a series of books called the 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 Toother. Yeah, and it's all about these fairies in Appalachia, basically. And they're one of the. It, it's not that it, it's not about them. It's about the other series of books. The same author did the Eddie Lacrosse series. There is mm -hmm. one. He's basically a sword and sorcery, private eye. So it's a yeah. weird genre mashup already. And one of the books really struck me. So there is a song from that book. Um, called Dark Jenny and it's all about what happens in that story and it kind of fits in the same way that you know uh, I think Tori Amos wrote a song about Jamaica Inn and yeah it's literally about the story of Jamaica Inn and what struck her about that story that's what I love about folk music is you can take the things that you'll never ever get real explanations for and you can explore them through music and there's something really freeing about doing that 
Yeah. One of my favourite songs that I've written um, is actually The Hyde Tavern, which is based on a real location in Winchester and the ghost story which is associated with it. Um, just because I have loved that ghost story since I first heard it. And so I, I wrote I wrote it up, essentially, except my version of it. Yeah. <laughs> this is how we end up with folk songs in the first place, is the yep. fact that people hear stories and they're kind of like, well, I can make a song out of it. I mean, that's clearly what happened, isn't it, with a lot of them? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would completely agree. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> Pulling ourselves away. Pulling ourselves away. I feel kind of thoroughly embarrassed now. Um, what, for writing a ghost song? <laughs> no, no, just just for confessing. Um, <laughs> I think it's cool. I, 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 to- I, I totally write ghost songs. <laughs> but also about, you know, just like, just the other ones that I've written and stuff like that. Anyway, um, on that note, uh, it is time for us to go. But before we do, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week. And Jules, I believe that you have one for us. Yes. Um, now, I fully admit this is not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Firstly, because it's grimdark and grimdark fantasy is not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. But also because of how the main character is presented. Now, I found it to be a complete breath of fresh air. and I will explain why. Um, but other people have complained because they feel it's poor representation. So I guess it shows that you can't, you really can't please everyone. Yeah. Um, the book is Penny Blade by J.L. Warred. Uh, the main character is basically an elf. Now, mm-hmm. this is nothing like Tolkien's elves, okay? The, the elves are not pure, noble beings of light in this. Uh, their entire society is set up around group orgies. Right. And power plays. Um, they are, they are by default, they're pansexual, so anything goes. Unless you have a pair of fraternal twins. So if you have fraternal twins, you have one boy and one girl. And when they're born, you know, they're, they're born a boy and a girl together, they're twins. And they will always only desire the same gender. It's some weird genetic quirk with these elves. Right. So the main character, Kyra, is, you know, functionally a lesbian. I don't think the word is actually ever used in the book because it's not necessarily appropriate. But they have their own word for it. And she has admittedly quite a dim view of women in general. Even though she has, I mean, she's kind of an Anne Lister character, as in she goes out and she enjoys the seduction. We would, if she was a man, we would consider her a rake kind of thing. Right, got it. But that is absolutely her. She's also a mercenary. She's morally quite bankrupt, but there are still these little pinches of kindness in there. Um, I wouldn't say she's the most likable person, but she's an incredibly engaging character. I actually find it refreshing to see. Uh, a lesbian main character who is foul-mouthed and contentious and takes crap from absolutely no one and just goes after whatever she wants and, you know, is, is kind of really into sex and not bothered about people knowing about it. Hmm. Um, and it not being about some the main character who is a lesbian having to be this perfect person because otherwise we're representing uh, lesbians in general and, you know, gay people overall as being less desirable because she was yeah. a fully rounded character and that's what I liked and I I've seen more sort of Byronic female characters but I think we've still got space for a few okay 
but um yeah i really liked it and there's a there's an interesting look at sort of uh personal freedom versus religion and the fact that no matter how free and open a society might appear there are restrictions within it no matter what and everybody wants to have their own so they want to be self-directing so mm. It was a lot of good stuff in there. I think what people were objecting to was the fact that this was a lesbian character written by a man. Right. And it didn't read to me like it was written just for titillation purposes. It's kind of this is a this is grim dark and this is which means it's going to be dark and there's going to be lots of nasty stuff in it because that's what grim dark is. So yeah. you know, buyer beware. Okay. It sounds really really interesting and certainly I think if you're into grim dark that definitely sounds like something which you might enjoy it makes change from the grim dark that is written by a man that features female characters who inevitably get horribly raped because it's grim dark i don't think we need to have lots of that i'm i'm perfectly up for the more sort of like no i'm just a serial seducer kind of thing yeah that's fair enough <laughs> and on that grim note <laughs> uh, but um uh, we'll say thanks very much for listening guys and we'll catch you guys next week yeah thanks and goodbye bye you've been listening to dissecting dragons the speculative fiction podcast you can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from itunes for more information visit our facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.